Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, produced in partnership with SubChina. SubChina is the best way to stay on top of the most important news from China in just a few minutes a day with a free email newsletter, a handy smartphone app, and at the website subchina.com. It's a feast of business, political, and cultural news about a nation that is reshaping the world. I'm Kaiser Guo, coming to you this week from the city I called home for 20 years, Beijing. With me here in our impromptu studio is Jeremy Goldcorn, who called Beijing home for just as long, with arguably a little less enthusiasm. How are you, sir? No, I'm doing very well. I think that's wrong. I, I don't think I had any less enthusiasm for Beijing. I, I've just been more willing to point out the ways in which the city fucked you over than you, you, you have. <laughs> We're like 10 seconds in and you're making me bleep already. Okay. All right. Anyway, so Jeremy, there's something that we have agonized over for a long time in doing this show, which is, of course, the relatively low proportion of women as guests. This Despite uh, efforts on our part to book women wherever we can, I mean, women are not fairly represented on panels at conferences about China-related topics. And you know what it feels like, Jeremy, to be on one of those all-male panels and get called out over it. Um, why don't you tell us about one such incident? Well, it's happened a few times, but I, I guess mo- most recently I-, I was on a panel in Washington, D.C., that was organized by the Paulson Institute, uh, Evan Fagenbaum, with uh, Evan Osnos, Bill Bishop, and Gaddy Epstein. And the that's not just was, all male. No, it's <laughs> it's all all white and Greek and Jewish male, I guess. And um, oh, Bill's Greek. I didn't really think about it, but because we'd sort of hung out together in in Beijing, those people. And it seemed a kind of natural outgrowth of that. But we were accused of mansplaining China uh, on social media and uh, taken to task. How did that task. make you feel? Um, well, you know, it's odd because on the one hand, it's true. Like, there maybe should have been women on the panel. But it is a complicated question in some ways because... It is also the case that the panel was put together based on people who had known each other and talked together before in a similar setting. So it didn't feel to me like, some, you know, there wasn't like some male chauvinist at the top of the panel deciding to exclude women. But On the other hand, somehow a subconscious thing and it perpetuates this. Uh, you know, a, a well, that's what we're going to talk about today. It is. For me, at least, I think we both agree that people are absolutely right to call these things out. Uh, I recently looked through um, all 37 of the shows that we'd done that had aired by the time of recording uh, between the time we joined SubChina and this trip to Beijing. Uh, we've had women on the show as guests on only, it turns out, 11 out of the last 37 shows. So we're, we're not doing so great. And the problem isn't just panels and podcasts, yeah, of you're course. Right. It's also who gets quoted in major newspapers, magazines, and wire services, who gives commentary on television and radio news shows. So in an effort to address this imbalance, a group of foreign correspondents here in Beijing have put together an impressive resource, which they've made publicly available, that offers an excellent list of women who work on greater China issues in a huge range of disciplines. We're very pleased that two of the women who started this project could join us here today. Joanna Chiu is China and Mongolia correspondent for the Agence France Press and joins us on Seneca for the first time. Welcome, Joanna. Thanks for having me. And Lucy Hornby, the Deputy Bureau Chief of the Financial Times, is here as well. Seneca listeners may remember Lucy from a show she did with me about a great story on comfort women in which she actually interviewed one of the leading activists who had been forced into sexual slavery by the Japanese military and was seeking reparations from Japan. Lucy, welcome back to Seneca. Thank you very much. And uh, I think I'd like to say that that lady uh, who I interviewed um, died a few months afterwards. Oh, right. Uh, I remember so we're that. glad to be able to get her story out um, while there was still time. Yeah, that was great timing. 
So let's talk about the origins of this project. Who came up with the idea and who was involved in putting together the original list? Um, so like you mentioned in your intro, there were, there's been more of a sense that some people are getting fed up with seeing all-male panels or when they read an article, every single person quoted seems like they're male. So it was in one of those kind of Twitter flare-ups when everyone's piling on a podcast organizer for putting out a podcast that only had male China experts. I decided that instead of joining into kind of the public criticisms, which I think serves the purpose, I thought as a journalist, I wanted to know why this happens, this phenomenon. Um, it wasn't us, was it? It wasn't you. <laughs> so I talked to this person directly and I said, oh, what happened? And he was quite embarrassed and apologetic and he wanted to get my input on how he could do better in the future. And I talked to some other people, other journalists, male and female, who had the same issue of they realized they put out something to the world that only has mostly male voices. And they were all, none of them, like you said, Jeremy, are male chauvinist pigs. It's not like their agenda to push out this, you know, male supremacist voice on China. What they kept telling me was that they really want to get more women. They asked some women, some said no, so they fell back on the experts they knew. And it was more likely the case that when the organizer or the journalist was male, maybe he knows more male colleagues, male friends who are experts in the field, and they're the fallbacks. Um, so I talked to some of the female correspondents here in Beijing, and we were all frustrated, and we wanted to think of solutions. I love Google Docs, and I think it's a great tool to you know collaborate. So I was like, I'm going to start a Google Doc, everyone. They're like, okay, you do that. So I got it started. I added some of my own contacts of female experts that I that I find really reliable who pick up the phone when I call. And I sent it out to other journalists first for, for their feedback so they could, like Lucy and others who put in their contacts. And then I put it out to some listers and then just last month it just blew up and I was so surprised. I just thought it was this like dorky little Google Doc. But every time I checked, uh, because it's collaborative, anyone can edit it. Anyone can add themselves or add people they know. Every time I checked, there were maybe like over 10 people checking it out at any time of the day all over oh, the world. Oh, wonderful. Uh, what's the total number up to right now? Um, around 200. Oh, wow. Excellent. That's by far not an exhaustive list. Two, 200 people on the list. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the organizers of the project, including yourself, uh, were Lucy here. And uh, who are some of the other folks? Primarily It's some call very up. collaborative. Um, I don't, because it's an open doc, I don't know who added more contacts, but uh, once I sent it around, I think mostly journalists contributed our own sources, which is actually something quite generous because some journalists, like, you know, our sources is our bread and butter, who we know, but we were willing to share the people we found reliable to each other so that more women can be on panels and interviews. And then it was everyone. I don't know who added their suggestions, but it's a collaborative group project. Lucy, let's let's try and get some si sense of the size and the dimensions of the of the problem. I think you've been sort of compiling some stats on the gender balance in reporting. Uh, can you share some something that you you know you found to get, give us an idea of of just how bad of a problem this is? Yeah, so Joanna and I decided we should check our own reporting, uh, your guys' podcasts, um, and a few other a few other relevant things, um, just to give people an idea. And generally, I found that women were somewhere between 20 to 30% represented. Okay. Um, and uh, so just to give you some numbers, my own articles since January 1st, the number of women quoted were only five, I'm sorry to say, out of 33 people quoted in total. So in, you're actually at the low end of that. I am a very low end, yes. So a me big mea culpa. And... Uh, uh, but features, I looked into my feature articles where I had taken a bit more time to put them together. And there I had 10 of 36, still not good, but a bit better. You guys are five out of 13 for the last 10 podcasts. The Foreign Correspondents Club here in Beijing has a new thing where they have journalists speak at happy hour. Of the five happy hour speeches that have gone on so far, only one has been female. Um, so, you know, again, that, that number seems to be quite st statistically kind of consistent. Joanna is the outlier on all this. And I'll let you give your own stats here, Joanna. Um, and this was because I had been working on this list over months and I was very conscious of what I was doing. I'm sure if you looked at my stories from last year, it won't be so good. But um, for the past 10 features, 16 out of 13 people quoted were women. And from news articles, it was um, it was more unbalanced. Sixteen out of twenty nine. Um, yeah, sixteen out of yeah. 
But for news, um, that was the number was more unbalanced. I had I quoted thirty five men and twenty women in my news stories in the past since January. So that Pretty puts good. her around forty, just short of forty percent. So Lucy, uh, Joanna, chatting before we began recording, we did agree that it would be more interesting to focus on solutions rather than indulge in too much analysis of why the gender imbalance exists. But I think we should explore it a little bit. And the question is this. Does the problem not actually exist one step before the media quotes and the invitations to speak on panels? Is it not perhaps the case that the gender ratios on panels uh, and in media quotes are skewed because there are a larger number of men doing advanced degrees in China-related disciplines, more men doing business in China, more men working as journalists, uh, and doing other things that make them interesting sources of information for journalists? Is there not a larger pool of male expertise to draw on? So, you know, what's the main reason you would identify? I mean, can you just refer this to structural sexism? But how do we deal with this problem? Yeah, so Jeremy, I would challenge you on that. I mean, what is your evidence or what are your sources that there are more men doing advanced degrees or more male journalists in China? Is it just from... Who you know? Uh, uh, Joanna, I don't have evidence or sources. Uh, I'm just positing a question that right. I, I think a lot of people will be thinking about, uh, and I think we should answer. So I think that's kind of a misleading question because you're not completely sure there's so many more male than female China experts. And I think that's part of the issue. I think people who aren't actually doing some sort of um, census, they're not looking at every university in the world and counting how many men and how many women are have done their PhDs. I think that's part of the issue that maybe um, in society, men are socialized to be more vocal, to have, they have less consequences if they're seen as focusing on self-promotion, whereas women maybe, um, if they're seen as, as more ambitious, like we've seen in politics of the past election, they're often cut down. What I found, what I uh, learned from, you know, some mentors as like, when I was a younger journalist was that not being able to get a good expert quote is never an excuse because there's an endless supply of experts. Think of all the universities just in China alone, just in Hong Kong alone, in the U.S., in one city in the U.S. There's just endless people who are studying China who are, some of them have never talked to media. So there's a huge source of um, untapped sources who would be willing to speak. And I'd like to add something here too. I mean, I think clearly there are more male CEOs, for instance, than female CEOs. That's a fact. But so if you were looking at, you know, a series of profiles of CEOs, then you would expect to see more male CEOs profiled. But I don't think that that holds true. You know, the vast majority of the people we call, particularly if you're calling somebody in an afternoon because the story just broke, you're not calling a CEO. You know, they don't take calls out of the blue. Uh, whereas you are calling, say, banking analysts, um, academics, et cetera. And there, I think the ratio is much more equal. And it's not just China experts, right? For instance, I cover steel, I cover banking, I cover heavy industry. In those industries, some of the best analysts are actually female. Um, so there's plenty of people that you can tap. But the question is, who are you leaning on to tap? Who are you reflexively going to? And then also who's good value for money? Because again, I, you know, in the, for instance, in the mining industry, you wouldn't expect this, but female mining analysts, in my experience, tend to be a whole lot better than male mining analysts. And yet the panel on the mining industry tends to include be, more yeah, men. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that I think that you're, it, it depends very much what subcategory of people you're looking for, and the assumption doesn't hold across the board. Okay, that 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 sounds extremely reasonable. I think you've answered a, a question that a lot of people will have very well. Second question that's kind oh, of sorry, a follow-up. Can I add one more? Yeah. You can choose not to add it or not. Please add. Yeah. So I, I do agree with you, Jeremy, that there is a structural problem. The problem doesn't start and end with the podcast organizer or the panel organizer. There's a broader systemic issue of what norm, like mainstream people view as an expert. When they imagine an expert in their head, what, what does it sound like? Does it sound like a British accent? Does it sound like an older man, a younger man, younger woman, um, someone who's Caucasian or or a minority. Um, so people have to challenge a lot of these things, and there's a broader issue. And as far as what people can do, the sources themselves, if a male academic who, who finds that he's often approached very often by journalists and event organizers, 
some have already started to take actions like boycotting when they're asked, they find out that they're being asked to go on an all-male panel. They'll say, no, I'm not going to speak unless you get a little bit more diversity in there. That's something someone can do on the other side. Same with women. Um, it's tough. We could talk about this later of trying to make media a priority, but maybe more women can think of themselves as experts and be more willing to speak. Well, yeah, that, that, that's a good kind of uh, segue into my next question. Kaiser is going to follow up, I think, on the question of men pushing back against all-male panels. But I would like to ask about um, a question of, I suppose in some ways it's female confidence. Like you just talked about your the the this project the the list of you know china experts that you've put together and you said you kind of denied personal responsibility for it in a certain way you kind of said well it's very collaborative and lots of people contributed now i know that say with this podcast like if kaiser gets asked about it he says my podcast i do this and i do the same basically we're like my podcast me 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 Whereas women do tend to be a lot more um, less willing to take complete um, credit for credit for what they do. Um, I mean, is this changing? Do you think this is a problem? Do you think maybe this is also something you should be doing in terms of trying to get women to be more aggressive in promoting themselves, essentially? I think it's a big problem. And I would say, speaking personally, part of the reason it's a problem is that it's a lot easier to get men to work with you if you share the credit, right? So it's a lot easier to persuade a guy, hey, you know, I'm working on this story here. I need your help from your country. Um, and then present it more as his idea or his article. Oh, you know, I'm helping yeah. him on my idea, actually. So I think that that then feeds into women get this reflexive, oh, yeah, no, we were collaborating, you know, that is a problem. Um, I think the other thing is, uh, and maybe this is a good time since we're talking about solutions, you know, a few tips for female academics, um, particularly on breaking news, you know, if it's a feature, I'm working on it for six months, I can go out of my way to find you. But if I just need to turn around a story, then I will quote whoever calls me back. You know, and there are certain people who get quoted a lot simply because they prioritize being in the media. And that, that helps them. It translates into them getting to invited to more things. It translates into them getting seen as an expert. And those people, you can tell, they do a few things that they do right. And I think these are tips that all women and also shy men can pick up. Uh, the first is you are always available. You call back. Mm, right. The reporter wants to talk to you in the morning, in the afternoon, whatever you're there. Um, I know it's hard when people have families, but you can usually steer a reporter into working hours. But, you know, you're available. Thing number two, you've thought about your topic in terms of sound bites, uh, because that's another big thing when you come to quoting somebody. You want the broad statement that will allow the reader to understand this. And some people are better than at this than others, but some people practice too. Um, and I think it's not a bad idea for people who want to be quoted more. You know, if the reporter calls you at 11, leaves a message, says they'll call back at 1130, think through a bit what they're going to talk about and think of a few broad, clear, understandable ways to phrase it and then stick to that phrasing because that's most likely to make it through to a story. Um, and then the third major thing, and I think Joanna and I have both found this with female interviewees and personally it drives me bananas, is that, you know, I'm calling on a broad topic and then you tell me, well, sorry, I only wrote my paper on a subset of that topic. You know what? My reader doesn't know anything about it. Step up to the plate. You know, you, I'm sure that you know more about this topic than I do. I'm sure you know more than the reader does. Don't lock yourself into that subset um, because that's a good way to not get yourself quoted. Similarly, if you wrote on something five years ago, a lot of people, you'll call them and they'll be like, well, sorry, I wrote about this five years ago. I don't know what's happened since. You know, again, you don't need to tell me that. You've probably been following it in the news at a level that's greater than my level of following. You can still speak authoritatively on it. If you tell me you can't talk about it because you haven't looked at it in three years, I'm going to go call the guy who did. Right. And right, right. he and may not actually know as guy. much as you. And it'll be a guy. And he probably doesn't know as much as you do. 
So, you know, get over it. So um, women have got to learn to bullshit a bit, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, right. put yourself out there and do it with confidence. Joanna, Lucy, are you guys aware of a program that's run by the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations called Public Intellectuals in Policy? Have you guys heard about this? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, because I think it, it really dovetails all with what you just said. Um, they try to pick interesting people from different China-related disciplines and equip them with the tools, uh, with the connections, uh, with the sort of you know the, just the sorts of tips you just you just provided, but but really you know to expose them to broader areas so that if they did do a really narrow dissertation on something that they can broaden them, uh, get them out of the ivory tower into speaking events that are outside of academia, interacting with the press. Now I've had the very good fortune of meeting with them uh, for several years now as they've come through China, and I'm always really really impressed that women uniformly either equal or outnumber the men in these cohorts. Uh, so it's it's quite good. Uh, what are some of the other initiatives that you guys are aware of that help address this gender imbalance that we've been discussing? Um, well, I've, training is part of it. Uh, the BBC I just saw is offering uh, free training for female experts who are interested in doing more media. Unfortunately, it's only in London so far, but there's actually a lot of organizations that are pushing for these issues. Um, I myself, I founded a chapter of WAM, Women Action Media, in Vancouver when I lived in Canada. And that was aimed at getting journalists and other media workers and um, just citizens together who care about improving representation of women and minorities in media, and also the way women and minorities are represented. So like Lucy said, so women are not always quoted on women's issues and minorities are not always described in stereotypical ways. There's a lot of organizations. Um, and also to address your question about confidence, Jeremy, um, for me, that was a personal thing I had to work through. I'm a young Asian female. I'm in my late 20s. I started in China when I was in my early 20s. And I was already being asked to report for radio and TV. And that was really nerve-wracking when you think of yourself as a quiet uh quiet girl in class and then all of a sudden you're being asked to go on radio that you know students and journalists are asking you to provide feedback on their stories that seems kind of like a strange thing to kind of imagine yourself doing and it's part of what the issue is about that people need to reimagine what an expert looks and sounds like they may be young they may be not white they may be female so diversity means a lot and it is part of what individuals can do as themselves to have more confidence and to think of themselves as experts and people who have good experience to impart. And and I think this might be a good time to interject that there's another issue with China watching, specifically in China reporting, which is that there's a overwhelming choice to use outsiders to report on what China is doing. Um, and, and that, I think, you know, my stats weren't the greatest on quoting women, but I, I do feel that I make a bigger effort than a lot of the reporters here in Beijing to quote Chinese people about China rather than quoting the academics sitting in Australia or the U.S. or London about China. We have to do a whole other show about why we don't have enough Chinese guests on this show. <laughs> um, and and that, that, I think, is something that can also needs to be addressed. And again, some of the same tips, you know, when you talk to a Chinese interviewee, you know, it's their own country. So they tend to talk at a greater level of detail. It doesn't always translate out again. So I think that, you know, there are things to think about in that area as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And this also points to why diversity is not just a politically correct PC kind of thing. It's not about just avoiding the Twitter feminazis getting on your case. It's about doing better work because diversity, having female and male and people who live in different places, people who live outside of China, they have a lot of advantages. They often have better access to universities and this academic network so they can provide their analysis on China. People inside China, they also provide something very valuable. They have day-to-day observations and experiences. They can it can also really liven up a story or an event when these people are involved. Joanna, earlier you had talked about um, people pushing back when invited to participate on all-male panels and just simply refusing to do so. Um, I wanted to maybe talk a little bit about something that happened to me recently. Uh, by the time this show actually drops, I'll have been moderator at an all-male panel 
that's talking about China and the Trump administration at an event in San Francisco. Uh, the other panelists are admittedly very well-known people in the field, very good gets for a conference like theirs. Uh, they're understandably proud of having gotten them. The organizers of the event were both women and, as far as I can tell, very committed progressives. I really pushed push them. They will vouch for this. I pushed them again and again. I said, look, I, I am tempted to say I do not want to do this panel if it's going to be all male. Uh, they need to put at least one and ideally two on. And I, I really do believe them when they say that they tried. They they say they, they kept trying uh, to get women of comparable profile and reputation. Ultimately, I think that they they understood that there was a certain draw, this sort of star power draw to the people that they did end up getting. Uh, in the end, they decided to go with the all-male panel, but they kept assuring me that in later panels during the rest of the day, uh, there would be a lot of female representation, but this still really stuck in my craw. And because this was, you know, sort of a billboard panel for this event. But you didn't boycott it. I didn't boycott it in the end. I, I, uh, really, I talked, I talked to them through so it. So only stuck in your craw. Right. I'm not so really, <laughs> I'm really not. Yeah. So, so like a little bit in your craw. So right. Kaiser, did you, um, um, did you suggest any I did. female? I guests? did. I suggested, I, I gave them at least four or five names. That, what that happened? Would be. Did they approach so a couple of them they tried and were unavailable. They weren't weren't able to to travel for for that. And then um, they said they had already secured commitments from these guys and that they would have to sort of kick somebody off. And they were they are you know these are all name these are sort of rock star names that you you guys all know. But uh, it was it was I I, I did try. I, it, it took a lot of you know I mean all my repeated urging they they definitely took it on board. But um, you know you guys would probably agree that. You get a lot of defensiveness when you criticize people over the lack of diversity. I mean, people definitely go kind of scurrying off mentally in search of, 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 of handy excuses. Uh, there are more men in the, than women in the field of X. You often hear that. Or we're actually gender blind. We just look for the people who are at the top of their field, irrespective of whether they're men or women, et cetera. To having, me, I mean, having slept through a great deal of panels, I can tell you that. <laughs> Everybody invited to a panel is not always right. The I best mean, choice. I, I think panels are. I mean, death by panel is the worst thing you can do to a topic. But uh, to me, I mean, I, I think you know diversity is an inherently good thing. I, I guess I've never had to articulate why. But I suppose now that Trump is in the White House, we have to hone the arguments as we are likely to run into more pushback or at least more of this excuse making. So how should we be making the case and take the wind out of the excuses? Uh, Give us some good things to push back. I mean, what should I have said? <laughs> so I run into this problem a lot because often when I say, well, you know, there aren't any women on this panel, the answer is, well, you're the woman, but I'm the moderator. You know, uh, so this right. happens all the time. I think it's difficult because as in your experience, the moderator is often invited last. You know, the panel's already been set up and then they think, oh, shoot, we need somebody who doesn't mind being moderator. Who are we going to call? Kaiser, me, whatever. Right. Um, but we're sort of natural fits for it too, right? I mean, journalists are, are, are great moderators generally. Yeah, I actually enjoy moderating. Yeah, me too. Um, a couple of times I've solved the problem by saying, okay, well, I'll invite someone to join, you know? And you don't need to kick someone off. You can just add the person in, right? Um, now, I do know that there are some women who feel like, oh, I've become the token woman and my life could be completely sucked up by showing up on panels and I just don't have time and I have other professional obligations, et cetera. Right. Well, the solution to that is clearly to broaden the field of available people. You know, there are other people who would love to appear. Well, that's um, why your resources are such a great one. I mean, it's so useful. We, we, we look at it all the time now. I mean, before I book guests for a show, I'll go through – so uh, this is a top. I mean, it's great because it's organized by 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 topic areas. It's really very very useful. And it's also organized by location. So journalists based or event organizers based in different areas, we can choose. So you people. know what time zone they're in, right? Yeah. yeah. So you can know who to call and not who not to wake up in the middle of the night. So do you think uh, for both both of you, uh, Lucy and Jana, do you think there's any perceptible difference when it comes to the ideological tilt or the tone of what you get from female expert sources on certain topics as, to, uh, as opposed to what males might say? And I mean, this could be about anything, security, elite politics, steel. Um, is, is there a difference between the way women respond and the way men respond to journalist or panel questions. So you're luring us into making broad statements about men <laughs> <laughs> that are probably no more true than broad statements about women. Um, but let's let's phrase it a different way. I think that there is a difference in the quote that you get from the rent a quote or the uh, you know the person who's sort of become the expert by dint of being the one who's always talking versus the person 
male <laughs> or <Bullhorn>. female, <laughs> the person male or female who uh, actually is maybe a bit less of a celebrity but has spent more time right. looking into their topic. Um, so I, I think we can make that distinction very fairly and that the the person who's become used to being quoted all the time often isn't actually still following the topic quite as closely. You know, they've they've sort of morphed into the expert who doesn't need to check, do a reality check on facts. You know, so I think it does pay off to find somebody who is maybe a little bit shyer or a little bit. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I, I get it. You sidestepped my question trying to force you into saying something sexist and you made another comment, but that's fine. That is a useful <laughs> comment. So uh, another question are there topic areas where, you know, uh, Lucy and Jana, you would want to highlight where perhaps our listeners would be surprised to learn that there are, in fact, many, many super qualified experts who happen to be women? Well, Johnny, you were wanting to say something about the defense and security right. field. Yeah I, yeah, I find that's an example that people, like Kaiser said, who are scrambling for excuses often cite. They're like, oh, in the area of security, um, obviously the major people are men and it's dominated by males. And um, just looking at the list we put together so far, it's not true. So many people are involved in Asia security issues that are female and at the top of the field, like Bonnie Glazer, just looking for my list, um, before Yan Mei Xie of the International Crisis Group. Lots of women that were actually very good at being media savvy and knowing the how to make things digestible and easy for readers. So there's a wealth of people who can speak on virtually any topic in the world and Many of them happen to be female. I, I'm thinking about one area where Jeremy and I used to get quoted all the time. I remember, like, if you go back, you know, 10 years or so, there was a time when you'd open up to any story about the internet in China and the quotes would be basically five people. There would be David Wolf, there would be Jeremy Goldcorn, Duncan Clark. Duncan Clark was, you know, like 80% of them. <laughs> yes. Me, Bill Bishop, maybe, right? And possibly Sean Ryan. And maybe Sean Ryan, right. But so where that was an area where, I mean, I, as I was thinking through, it felt like it was terrible underrepresentation by women. And uh, just, I, I don't remember what it's, what's on your list, but who's on your list for for internet technology sort of? Uh, well, can I just throw out, that was a case where there was a clear female expert, and that was the woman who used to be the CNN bureau chief here. Um, Christy Lustat. No. Oh. No, McKinn. Uh, oh, Rebecca McKinnon. Yeah. Rebecca McKinnon. Right. So she should have been there at equal representation, but she probably wasn't. Now, part of the reason was the five you just mentioned lived in China. She lived in Arizona. So that was a logistical issue. Um, But, you know, there may have been also that sort of momentum of whoever gets quoted gets quoted again. She was great. I mean, you could talk to her about uh, sort of high-level – policy stuff, regulation about uh, internet censorship, about kind of big think ideas about uh, impact of uh, technology on society. But she wasn't sort of on the ground and, and knew what VC had just invested in what little startup. And often that was what they were looking for, right? Um, there weren't, that was, maybe the problem was that they weren't, there weren't a lot who were, you know, in the mix, on the ground, you know, sort of close to the action. I think that's another example where you always have also have to think about diversity as not just being male, female, but also ethnicity, nationality. It's a surprisingly huge number of females are involved in tech scene in China. CEO, CEO right. of uh, Didi Kuai, um Yeah, Didi Kuai Di, but, yeah. Yeah, but she's, she's not a quotable person. You also, some of the top spokespeople I find, uh, Alibaba, Baidu now, um, JD, there, there are a lot of women there. Sure. But, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes it's it's not easy. Like, uh, I mean, I, that period you refer to, Kaiser, I was usually quoted up. Like, any time the Chinese government censored something on the internet, I'd get called. <laughs> right. And they just couldn't find a lot of people. I mean, there was Rebecca McKinnon, but she was in a different time zone. And no matter how many female executives at Chinese internet companies, they don't want to speak about censorship. And in fact, even people... Uh, business people, some of whom you mentioned, would not be available to say the Chinese government f- censored my website, which I would say. So people <laughs> would call me up. So I mean, the irony it, it, that it's, I have to it, censor that word now—it's <laughs> not always the case that it's uh, uh, you know sometimes there's only one person who'll say something. Sure, 
But that could be balanced out over, you know, over you may be the time. guy whose website got censored. At, at that particular point in right. time, that was me. But there might be yeah. other topics at which there'd be a go-to girl, you know, like, so I, I don't necessarily feel that just because you are clearly the easiest person to get a quote for on one topic, you know, there, there's surely other people on other topics, right? You, you can balance it out, right? You, you can absolutely. But I, I think it does. Um, I mean, the, the thing we're wrestling with is like, if you're a journalist or you're a panel producer, you have got one day to write a story or one day you have to organize a panel. And it's not it's not just that there's a vast chauvinist conspiracy. There, there are sort of practical factors that make it difficult. And I think that we're talking about it. Uh, hopefully will make people think about it and go the extra mile to right. change well, and, things. And I think that explains why both Joanna and I, for spot news, we'd have a much higher ratio of mail right. versus for features, things where we had taken more time, you know, found the right person, et cetera. Um, so, so that is true. Um, that said, journalists, I hate to say, we're often lazy and we often have very little time. So you Google the last person who's been quoted and you call them again, you know, and I can track it in my own stories. When I quote somebody on something, I can then see other media based in China are more likely to quote that person. Right. Yeah. Um, and and it's there's a clear correlation there. So I think that's where the beauty of Joanna's List and you know, for anyone who wasn't clear by Joanna's modesty, it clearly is Joanna's list. You know, that's the beauty of that list. You you can try to get some of that momentum going. Joanna, let's talk about uh, how the, the impact that you've seen so far of the list. Uh, what kind of feedback are you getting? Are you seeing that it's already starting to make a difference? Um, are you hearing a lot from people who are adding to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've shared it with uh, my workplace and people are, we're adding it to our own office-wide contact list, and I, I know of other journalists who have shared it with their organizations or people part of NGOs who have shared it with their organizations for when it comes to event planning. So I think it's a, it's a tool that people are very grateful for because it is really time-consuming to Google constantly and try to find the right person just madly searching. Now it's um, you can just say Control-F and look for this person in the subject area. And also I found what was more interesting is that I found it was – I got a lot of messages from female experts who said the list and the idea of behind it was kind of empowering for them and gave them confidence that, yes, I'm an expert. Um, I started this charity. I, I wrote this book. I should add myself to this list. Oh, great. A lot of the people who are on this list are people who added themselves because they wanted to step up and they were sick of kind of being shafted and ignored by event organizers and they're stepping up and that is really, really interesting. Were journalists actually ever reticent about sharing? I mean, because they the contacts that they have are sometimes carefully cultivated and they're not always willing to sort of share their contact details with the world. Uh, are you running into that at all as a problem? Um, in this case, because I wanted to make sure that there's not so many privacy issues with the list, I wrote at the top that it should be previously public info only unless you get the permission from the person you're adding. Right. So people who are already on university faculty web pages, for example. So it's not um it's people who if you are kind of familiar with the field, a particular field should be pretty easy to find on your own. But now it just puts everything together. So um if you don't mind Lucy and Joanna, could we talk about like Kaiser and me, our own show? We we've talked about the Seneca lad problem before. Um, we kind of have had a history of being fairly kind of what's the word? It's not just that? The, it's not just the gender balance, but there's something apparent. A lot of women have told me, or at least one woman who's told me in in pretty good detail and a very heartfelt way that she feels like the whole feel of the show is gendered. Okay. That it's just sort of a lad. Show. So we, we have a basic problem that the <clears throat> two of us are male, and even if we have one female guest on the show, she is still outnumbered. We've added Ada Shen, uh, who's terrific. She's a rotating co-host, and we tried to get her on for shows in Beijing, uh, but she's often traveling and unavailable. And we have been putting a lot of thought into this problem. 
Well, so yes, maybe put some good I could uh, have some suggestions. Absolutely. Um, last night That's was... That's what we're asking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when the show will run, but last night, uh, now that we're recording, last night was Valentine's night, and you two will be happy to know that my husband and I, our Valentine's night date, a significant portion of it was devoted to discussing your show. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> this, this is how that intimate is so our relationship is. Yes. Um, so, uh, yes. Yeah, so, in, uh, and what we were specifically discussing is my husband's a huge fan. He has a long commute and he listens to Seneca all the time. Um, but he also felt that it had a very male dynamic. Yeah, um, yeah. But but he further kind of broke it down and he felt that part of it is that you guys have a great repartee. And, and that's what makes the show enjoyable to listen to. And he said that with your guests, there are some guests uh, where it's clear there are people you've known them a long time. Uh, and you have that repartee with them. Um, and those guests are often male. And I think... Uh, but he said, you know, sometimes that repartee doesn't really work with male guests as well, people you don't know so well. Um, and so your female guests, maybe you also don't know so well. You know, and I can see how you guys are a little intimidating, you know, especially if somebody doesn't know you. You know, Kaiser is not a person you might want to meet in a dark alley. You know, he's got all <laughs> his hair. I look like Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Woody Allen. His own baggage, you know. So, um, you know, so I think that you could maybe address this issue a bit by warming people up. So particularly That's if it's somebody idea. who's not yeah. so familiar with you two, maybe knows you by reputation, you know, you guys clearly have that deep bond, you know, schedule in so they're not walking in the door and sitting down in front of a microphone, but instead, you know, kind of goofing around with you guys for 40 minutes before the show. You don't have to do that with a guy like David Moser, who you're goofing around anyway. Right. Um, but that might help you get that repartee going with guests that are less familiar with you and many of those guests possibly are female. That's very good advice. Mm-hmm. Joanna, do you have anything for us? Yeah, um, I was just agree with Lucy and think that it's not your fault, but there is this wider, all these wider issues, and there's the term China bros. And oh, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you haven't heard of it? Are we China bros? Well, <laughs> there's people who use that term who get, who think that there's like a kind of, you know, it. It's friendship. It's people you know. You're in a group of friends, and you all happen to be male. It's not like you're scared of women and you don't like female friends or you don't have female friends. But people think there's a group and it's a club, and it's intimidating to maybe be a part of it and be part of the banter to kind of tease each other on air. It might be so. I don't know. Like make more female close friends who are in the field. What do you think about that? Do you think just getting people comfortable? And the other thing is, I'm noticing at this show something I didn't notice the last time I was on. Now, the last time I was on, it was just you and me, Kaiser. Right. Uh, And we also, I think, planned it with like maybe 20 minutes. Yeah, 20 minutes. It was a a, a bit of a rush job. (laughs) Um, But right now, the two of you have your script written out, and Joanna and I don't. Um, And so, particularly at the beginning, I noticed that that meant that you guys had a sort of the voice ratio was very high so i wonder if it would maybe you guys could experiment for instance in i know you have to plan your script because obviously you have to have a certain quality for the show but what if you didn't have a script in front of you that would put you on a more equal footing with your guest who doesn't yeah, have that's a script a good point. i mean we we never used to actually um, well we always had a little bit of i mean it's not it's not ever a full script either i mean what i've got in front of me is sort of skeletal notes but and we fill in uh, and, you know, I mean, if we were to just read off of script, it just wouldn't sound very natural or, or very good. But anyway, uh, but that's good, good advice. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's, if it's, it's so much that or, or maybe providing more details of the specific questions that we're going to ask to our guests ahead of time. I thought in, in our case, we had gone through pretty well what we were going to talk about. Uh, yeah, so, no, you know, I, this wasn't for this case. And, I mean, I feel like we are pretty confident, both of us, and it's going well, but. If you had somebody who was not so confident, right. then I think that those would be maybe things you could do to even the field. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I'm they not, never, I'm they not never come in completely cold. Show. They never come in completely cold with, with without any okay. idea of what Enough. we're going to yeah. do. And also, <laughs> sorry, one more thing. And just to remind again that we don't want to paint all women as kind of like wallflower, um, humble and shy. But also recognize there's a lot of socializing women who have loud voices who are always standing up in front of a meeting and always pushing their ideas they might not do so well in a workplace or they might be cut down on social media there's a lot of you know really horrible trolls and you could just recognize that there's a lot there's a degree of comfort that male china people enjoy that females don't have just because of the wider society 
So just to be a bit cognizant of that and that it's a wider problem. Let's talk about social media. Um, Joanna, you, you shared with us an article from The Atlantic talking about how much more male tweets tend to be retweeted than female tweets. What is going on here? Um, I mean, you looked at your own record of tweet, retweeting and you found, in fact, that you're the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's those kind of tools, um, trying to look through like what we all did, looking for our 10 past productions. It's a really good reality check that if you often check what's happening, then you can try to adjust it a bit and make more of an effort. But on social media, like in a platform like meetings, do you think that males are more incentivized to speak out and always share their opinions, no matter if they're experts in an area or not? I think that is the case often. When I see Twitter accounts of female experts, they often stay within their area of research. Same with journalists. What do you see? Yeah, and I, I, I certainly agree that accords with my general observations as well. Jeremy, I mean? Yeah, I mean, it is still a sexist world. <laughs> Women are told to smile and not ask questions. She persisted. She was warned, but she persisted. She was warned, but she persisted. <laughs> yeah, that's you a know. clear case of telling somebody to sit down and shut up. Yeah, God, yeah and it, I mean, there is at the moment in the United States where you and I now live, Kaiser, this very vile backlash from the right-wing ghouls that appear to have taken over the government. Um, so these are real questions, real problems. It's interesting how how much criticism a woman can get. People have told me I tweet too much or I share too much of my stories on Facebook. Or you're too loud. Yeah, or I'm always... Or you're too aggressive or... Yeah. Yeah, I know, some stupid crap. I think there's also a question of the uh, somebody who works for, is it Washington Post, uh, wrote a column about a month ago about how he and his wife, uh, I guess they are both working for whatever the paper is. I think it was the Washington Post. Uh, they cover similar topics, um, but the uh, the degree of personalization in the comments or in the mail, the emails they get after stories is, is hugely different. It's completely different. I mean, you know, I ran Dunway.org, as it was for most of its life, for about 10 years. And we we had pretty much zero negative comments on the website until we started having female contributors. And then we started getting the negative comments. And they were almost uniformly sleazy you know they weren't uh, they were ad hominem uh, or ad feminum they weren't mm-hmm. ad you know ad, you know ad they topicum. weren't addressed to ad topicum <laughs> you know it wasn't like your argument with sucks it was like you're a slut you know mm-hmm. i mean <laughs> and it was so obvious how stark the difference was well we will do our part i think um that we, your 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 advice is really good and uh your resource is going to be incredibly useful to us. So we're we're getting to the end of the show. Let's let's turn away from the main topic and ask both of you about a little bit about your own current work. Uh, what are you guys working on? Let's start with uh, Joanna. What are you What are you doing these days? Um, I started a new role recently at Agent France Press AFP, AFP yeah. where I'll be focusing on social issues, politics, human rights, foreign affairs, environment. Actually, a pretty wide range. But and you're covering oh Mongolia as well as China. And I'm covering right? Mongolia yeah. too. So That's yeah, nice. I'll, I'll be doing everything. Wow. Well, we really look forward to um, to your stories. You have a website, a personal website, right? Yeah, joannaedchew.com. Okay, and you put all your stories up on there? Yeah, some of my uh, more substantial stories on there. Okay, so check out joannaedchew.com. What about you, Lucy? What are you working on? Anything that you can, without tipping your hand? Let's uh, talk about steel, if we can, please. <laughs> I've actually dropped the steel beat. Oh, no. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, we had a bit of a reorganization um, this year being such an important one uh, for Chinese politics also for U.S.-China. So I've moved out of some of my heavy industry uh, areas of comfort, so to speak, and I'll be doing uh, more on the politics uh, and more on the U.S.-China international relations front. So looking forward to that. I also cover Mongolia. Yes, we were in uh, Mongolia together, actually. You were? (laughs) We met in Mongolia. Yeah, we were. (laughs) Lucy was so tough, and she was just talking Mongolian politics in the middle of the night, going through this middle of nowhere and Four by fours. I was freezing because I'm vegetarian. All I had was pickled vegetables. Oh, you didn't starve in Mongolia. <laughs> yeah, I would starve. I would die. I, I, I would say. like one broccoli in yeah. Ulaanbaatar every yeah. Another yeah. week, you wouldn't, I wouldn't be a journalist now. You, just, you want to talk about underrepresentation, I think, vegetarians in Mongolia. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I did Should get we some. Should we do that a show? <laughs> 
Well, very good. I mean, that that's that's great. Uh, Joanna Chu, Lucy Hornby, once again, thanks for taking the time to come in and chat with us um, and stick around and make some recommendations with, for our listeners, would you? Okay, well, before we get to recommendations, I want to remind our listeners that the Cynical Podcast is powered by SubChina. Check out the app and subscribe to the newsletter at subchina.com. You can follow SubChina on Twitter at, at SubChina News and on Facebook at facebook.com slash SubChina News. If you like the Cynical Podcast, by all means, go leave us a positive review on the Apple app. App Store or uh, Google Play. Also, tell us what we can be doing to better uh, balance our gender representation on the show. Uh, this really helps us, and it means a lot to us. Now, on to recommendations. Jeremy, what do you have for us? I'd like to re- recommend a short film uh, by Lucy Ostrander uh, about Anna Louise Strong, who was a giant of international leftism in some ways in the 20th century. Uh, an American woman who began her activism as a labor activist in the United States, but went on to play a not insignificant role in the Soviet Union and in communist China as a, a kind of globalist organizer. Uh, the film is by, as I said, Lucy Ostrander, who is also one of the producers of The Revolutionary, a film about Sidney Rittenberg, whom we interviewed fairly recently on the podcast. Excellent, excellent. Lucy, why don't you go, go next? Well, I'm also, uh, will put forth something of historic interest, uh, and that is, I just read All the President's Men. Mm. Uh, that is the Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, uh, account of how they unraveled the Nixon administration. Um, very relevant for today, also an inspiration <laughs> for us journalists, um, and a, a reminder of what you can accomplish when you don't have Google. Yeah, well, my God, yeah, you're right. They were doing all this work in the, in the pre-Google age. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. They did things like uh, they didn't know who worked at the White House, so they called someone up and got a list of the personnel at the White House uh, and their phone extensions. Nowadays, that's a problem you don't have. You know, you you have uh, everybody online. So it's a very different skill, um, but very relevant. Wow, excellent recommendation. Uh, Joanna, what do you have for us? Um, two suggestions. Um, one, for people who follow China legal issues, I find that a really good blog is the Supreme People's Court Monitor, SBC Monitor, written by China law professor Susan Finder. She's yeah, based second in Hong Kong. That. I'm a regular follower. That yeah, blog. that's great. Lots of good stats in Chinese media that she pulls up. And also, um, for people who want to think a little bit more about some of the broader structural sexism issues we we're talking about on the podcast. Um, I recommend you check out the work of Jessica Valenti. She's an American-based writer for columnist for The Guardian and author of many books. And she had a really tough time with criticism. She had so many rape threats. It's like a, it seems like a daily yeah, occurrence for oh her. God. And she's written about that. It's very interesting. Okay, my recommendation, excellent. That's, uh, so Jessica Valenti, uh, we'll definitely check her out. Um, the uh, book, I think, I, th- I believe it was Ed Wong who recommended it before on the show. I know it's been recommended before on the show, but I'm, I've finally gotten around to reading it, and I think it warrants a, a second recommendation, which is uh, The Sympathizer uh, by Viet Thanh Nguyen. I never can say that last name. Yeah, Nguyen. I'm reading that right now. Oh, isn't it great? Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, it's a, it's, it's a terrific book. The first novel, unbelievably, but this, he's, he's written a lot of short stories. Uh, he's a writing professor at uh, some school in Southern California. I can't remember, USC or UCLA. Uh, but terrific novel. Uh, if, if you, um, you know, it's a story about a, uh, basically a sleeper, a sleeper agent, uh, although his sympathies are, are definitely diluted, uh, who begins life, you know, working with the, the Viet Cong, as it were, but uh, actually embedded in, in a South Vietnamese army unit. And uh, leaves Saigon in '75 and comes to the United States, where he continues his activities. Uh, just terrific narrative. I mean, just great first-person uh, novel. Well, thanks, uh, Lucy. Thank you so much for coming. Thank in. you. Good, good to see you, Joanna. Congratulations. I think your your, your uh, resource continues to grow and to gain attention, and I hope that this uh, pushes it along a little bit. Jeremy, we will be using it frequently, will we not? Yes. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Thank you. I'll keep you updated. Great. Thanks. And yeah, send us rotten tomatoes when you think we. <laughs> yeah, no, we, 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 we really welcome criticism. Yeah. Well, I, I think you, you guys are the gold standard for podcasts on China. So we, we appreciate your work too. Well, thank you. The Seneca Podcast is powered by SubChina and is produced by Kaiser Gua and Jeremy Goldcorn. Thanks to Anla Cheng and Soraya Darabi from SubChina. 
drop us an email at Seneca at SubChina.com. Visit our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Seneca Podcast. And follow us on Twitter at, at Seneca Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.